Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Do your due diligence. All of us tend to get caught up in the deal and not making a bad decision, but at some point, it's time to pull the trigger and jump in. So I've developed a cute saying about that. After you get somewhat comfortable or comfortable enough, it's time to ready, fire, aim. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Michael Zaransky. Michael is joining us from Chicago, Illinois. He is founder and managing partner at MZ Capital Partners, which focuses on ground up construction and apartment syndication currently GP of over 2,500 units. Michael, can you start us off with a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. Thank you very much, first of all, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Of course. We specialize exclusively in the multifamily business, apartment complexes, and have been in that space for quite a while. I'm actually a third generation here in Chicago, active in the real estate business. And we have pivoted over the years within the multifamily space from the gamut of rehab, buying existing properties, 
condominium conversions of older properties and neighborhoods throughout Chicago, as well as building a student housing portfolio on seven campuses throughout the nation. And of late, a major focus on suburban garden-style complexes, where we're acting as a true developer, buying and acquiring land, getting the entitlements and building from the ground up multifamily communities. In the current market, although we've bought a number of existing assets over the years and operate them very effectively, in the current market, we find we're getting better yields by going through the process and building brand new and getting properties stabilized rather than buying existing properties. Nice. So I want to ask about that focus here in a moment. But first, you said your third generation in real estate. Is that three generations in your family of commercial multifamily investing? A combination of commercial and multifamily. And actually, my grandfather, who came to the United States, to Chicago in the early 1900s from Eastern Europe, began in the business by buying apartment hotels which were much more common back in the early 1900s through the 40s and 50s. They were in primarily residential neighborhoods, and they were full-service hotels with room service and a front desk. But people would rent hotel rooms and apartments by the month in those hotels. There are not that many that are still around. That's kind of how he got his start, and it was based in the Chicago area. Gotcha. So you personally through your own investing, and then maybe hopefully we can discuss what you saw growing up in the industry as well. I want to talk about market cycles for sure, since it feels like we are coming to a bend in the road in this market cycle. And it feels at least like the vast majority of apartment investors and multifamily investors got in since 2010, you know, and so I want to have that conversation, but also back to what you shared in your current focus, new construction, suburban garden style complexes. Why is that where you're going now? We have found a couple of things. Number one, we have found, despite all the headlines of what's happened even pre-pandemic in the center, major cities and the urban areas, a move to suburbia for apartment renters, a trend in most major metropolitan areas throughout the country, of an increased demand of renters wanting to live in suburban areas. Either they wanted more open space, they wanted the environment of living in the suburbs, and they also followed the number of jobs that have popped up in major suburban areas around major cities. Pandemic accelerated the pace of people moving out of the core and the center of the cities those who are work from home anytime or even hybrid work from home can do so from anywhere. So they kind of like the idea of the suburban extra space, the ease of parking, the ease of shopping, of getting around the extra green space. And as we found that trend accelerating, we found that in most markets, at least several that we focused on, that there's a shortage of quality higher-end apartment buildings. The vast majority of them in the suburbs were built before 1980, and there's been less new construction in suburban markets. So the product we bring into that market really is different than what is otherwise available. 
Michael, I am an apartment investor in Cincinnati, Ohio, and what you're saying, I have experience within my own portfolio, but also my studies of the Cincinnati market. The vast majority of our apartment inventory here was built in the 60s and the 70s. And that's, of course, true in the suburbs as well. Not so much urban core, just because our urban core is quite old as it is in Chicago. But there's a very large difference in our suburban areas between that 1968, 1972 apartment and what has been developed in the last 10 years. And there's a huge rent jump, even just in cost per foot. It can be one and a half to two times greater in those newer developments. Yes. The trend that you see in Cincinnati does not at all surprise me. It's commonplace in most major markets. The other thing that we found that led us towards it is that it's more cost efficient and cheaper to build garden style suburban apartments than the vertical high density stuff in the city. Combination of material costs by being able to do two or three stories using only lumber rather than steel and concrete that's required to rise. And also the ability to acquire a large enough parcel of land that you can surface park and do a really nice paved parking lot, maybe some covered garages or some attached to the building, but not an entire garage underground in a building, which is very costly. So that are all in per unit construction cost is substantially below what it would cost us to build vertically in an urban environment. And as you mentioned correctly, rents in the suburbs have escalated tremendously, especially for new product. And the returns are much higher today than they were even five years ago. Anecdotally, within my own portfolio, one of the things that I have been able to do recently You know, that 1960s, 1970s galley kitchen, one and two bedroom apartment. They're all brick here, but with wood frame construction as well, because it's that same two and a half stories. That first floor is below grade. I'm sure you're familiar. One of the things we've been able to do is take the wall out of that galley kitchen and go open concept L-shaped kitchen into an open kitchen, dining, living space. And we're seeing rent increases. Because there's such a gap between the rents in what you're building and the rents in the 50, 60-year-old inventory that there's a tenant base out there that wants to bridge that gap, that doesn't want to pay whether they can afford it, what they would need for your new development apartments, but also wants something nicer than the 60-year-old feel of 60-year-old apartments. So I'd like to say on behalf of my own portfolio, thank you for building all of that nice high rent new development so that I can improve my buildings and raise my rent as well. Yeah, it's great. A couple of things staying on this topic. You talked about the pandemic accelerating the move of apartment renters to the suburbs. One of the things you didn't notice that I'm seeing here in Cincinnati is that a lot of major employers who focused on one central downtown office have given up that office lease and moved towards smaller regional offices in the suburbs in pretty much every direction to make it easier for their employees who inevitably either already lived or moved out to the suburbs to get into the office the two days a week that they need to be there. 
I think that trend moves in your favor as well. You get more space for your money in the suburbs. One question here, though, with lockdown lifestyle that COVID forced upon us, moving people out of their tiny apartments, their tiny rental spaces in densely populated urban areas, making that lifestyle less appealing because the bars and the restaurants and the shops and the entertainment was all closed. Now that all of that is opening back up, do you worry about a return by those apartment renters to the urban cores in the cities where you're investing? I do. In fact, we've already seen such a trend in most of the major cities, for example, Chicago. For example, vacancy rate was very high in the urban core. Today, it is back up to record levels. Rent growth is back up to record levels and people have returned. If you go to the city core and the hot neighborhoods where young people are living and renting and you walk into a bar or restaurant, you would say, what pandemic? It's over. Yeah. However, despite that trend, the population growth and the demographics are such that the pool of renters in and around urban cores and in the suburbs has expanded so much that the existing supply is just simply not enough. We haven't built enough units to accommodate all the millennials, all of the empty nesters that have taken advantage of selling homes at record prices and decide they want to rent in the communities they grew up in. The deferred marriage that we're seeing now as people are getting married at older ages, so they have separate apartments, and just the general growth of the population, and because employment opportunities still are good, the number of people that were living in mom or dad's basement that have now the ability to move out and rent their own apartment, that combined with the lack of building supply over the last 10 years for various economic reasons has given us a shortage of apartments that has allowed the demand both in the urban core and, the, and in the suburbs to grow simultaneously. The growth of the suburbs was, as I mentioned, a trend that was starting to happen pre-pandemic. The pandemic accelerated it, but by no means is it dependent on the situation of the pandemic continuing. I think all of our listeners feel that supply and demand pressure that you referenced, Michael. That's a very good point. I'd like to shift the conversation and ask you about the length of your experience in apartment investing. When did you get into multifamily investing full-time for yourself, Michael? I started in 1979. I went to college and law school. I went to law school with the intent of being an entrepreneur and being in business, not of practicing law. It was actually a great way to go to law school. It took the pressure off at exam time. But I used that background to help me. And when I was out of law school, I started investing on my own in a small way, small transactions and grew from there. So I've been at it for a long time, seen a lot of cycles and a lot of trends. Michael, speaking to the cycles and the trends that you've seen here in Q3 of 2022, with everything going on in the world today, what is it that you're keying in on as important components of our economic climate that you think will have an impact on apartment investing? I think it's perspective. 
and the long view of the resilience of the economy that we're all lucky enough to have been born into and participate in. I would never, ever bet against the growth and the vibrancy of the United States economy. If you think about it for a minute, two years ago when we hit the pandemic, before we saw what was unfolding, if I would have told you that our economy would be virtually shut down, that unemployment would shoot up to record levels, that businesses would depend on the federal government for payroll loans in order to stay afloat, that there's no eating inside of restaurants or entertainment venues, that office buildings would go to vacancies of 30%. If I would have told you that was going to happen and you had to predict what the economy would look like two or three years later, the day we're at today, you would tell me we would be in the Great Depression. But instead, what we've seen in the multifamily business and throughout the economy is record employment, growth in the number of jobs, interest rates still, still relatively low by any measure of any cycle of an economy, despite the headlines, and an economy that grew, oh my God, it was terrible. It only grew by two or 3%. Can you imagine that actually happening, giving that scenario? So that's where we're at. And all the while, the population growth expanding. Rent growth, as you know, in the multifamily business, all-time records in the history of the apartment business, double-digit rent growth in virtually every market throughout the country, and the lowest vacancy rates we've ever experienced. And plus, as I mentioned earlier, a shortage of available apartments to meet the continued growth of demand. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliant's experienced team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. 
That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Michael, given your scenario of predicting what would happen in a COVID-like future now that we're through it, I think the only thing that could have been said was there will be sufficient political pressure to pump raw cash into the economy to keep things afloat. That's not the answer I was giving. Of course, I already had an apartment portfolio and I wasn't going to expect the best going into COVID. In fact, a lot of the active owner operators that I know here in Cincinnati, we all did something very similar in March of 2020. Most of them did not proactively reach out to their tenants. I did. I reached out to my tenants and told them, hey, if you experience a financial event or a job loss that's going to make it difficult for you to pay your rent, reach out to me. I have a plan for you. And for the record, for our listeners, that plan was one or two months of 50% rent with a new year lease at a 5 or 10% rent increase. So that basically the half a month of rent that I was losing for one or two months, I was gaining back over the next 12 months afterwards. And I did have some tenants take me up on that. I wasn't preparing for the best at the time. I was preparing for the worst to your point, but the impact of the political pressure, the people looking to the government to solve the problems they were experiencing on a macro level is the only thing that I would think. I came out of 2020 thinking to myself, as a newer apartment investor, this is my first market cycle. I came out of 2020 thinking to myself that America finally experienced a crisis that would actually impact my tenants' ability to pay rent. So the federal government gave them the money they needed to pay rent. Yes, That was eye-opening for me, and I'm not going to expect it with every crisis in the future, but it was very revealing to me and very assuring of my decision to get into apartment investing. Looking towards the future, recognizing that with your breadth of experience, you still don't have a crystal ball. What is it that you're seeing coming down the pike? So I'm seeing continued rent growth and continued tightness in occupancy, very low, low vacancy. I do see a moderating. Anyone who believes that 12 to up to 20% yearly rent growth is something that's sustainable is being unrealistic. But by moderating, even down to 5 or 6% rent growth, which is what I would anticipate for the balance of this year and probably in 2023, we're still above historical norms, which are closer to 3% annualized rent growth. I wouldn't on an acquisition or a new development project or pro forma supercharge rent growth. I think it would be a huge mistake. I would do it conservatively more at 3%, but expect 4 to 6% over the next couple of years. And I do think the backlog of the number of units that we need, the demand will be there to fill apartments. And it does appear that we've been able to maintain employment levels, even in the inflationary environment that we find ourselves in, so that tenants can continue to afford rent, as well as rent increases, because salaries have increased pretty substantially as well. I feel very good and optimistic about the future of multifamily. I'd also add to the well-taken point you made about the federal government intervening in the crisis when it came to the potential that tenants could default on their leases. 
is that indirectly the federal government has really been backing our industry for years and continues to do so by their support of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and their mortgage origination efforts and kind of the implied government guarantee of those quasi-government agencies. They provide necessary liquidity and debt, which, as you know, are the real lubricant in the multifamily business. Unlike other asset classes, those two mega agencies are there, and their charge is to make sure that there is housing available for Americans, both on the for sale purchase part, as well as the rental part. So their commitment to continue to fund multifamily development and multifamily acquisitions is huge. To your point, Michael, something that I often end up reminding my buddies, most of my friends are real estate investors, trying to keep my perspective apolitical, it's easy to blame a democratic national government regime for printing money to solve problems. It was a Trump and Mitch McConnell-led federal government that started those stimulus checks, which very eye-opening for me just to see as right-leaning a federal government as we had at the time creating that stimulus. And yes, there is a lot of federally-backed support for housing in general. Too large a topic for this conversation, but the way that the tax code is written is so advantageous to us as well. I want to summarize what I heard you say about your forecast. Yes, a lot of things were accelerated by COVID. That 14 to 20% rent growth year over year is not likely sustainable, but rent should continue to climb. And the reason is still comes back to simple supply and demand. There just isn't enough housing for the people who want it. And therefore, the value of that housing is going to increase, whether it's a home purchase or a rent rate. Basically, that's what you're saying is that we're going to continue to see rent growth because very simply, when supply and demand matter, nothing else matters as much. We don't have the supply to meet the demand. We don't have the supply to meet the demand. So rents are going to keep going up. Yes, absolutely. Great. Well, I'm still buying green bananas and I'm still buying apartments. So that's good news to me. Michael, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Awesome. What is the best ever book you've recently read? I recently read a book that's available through the Urban Land Institute at their bookstore, ULI.com. It's called Making It in Real Estate. And it's just practical, not spreadsheet type stuff, but practical advice on investing in and developing real estate. It was great. It's a, it's a two-hour read, great primer. Nice. What is your best ever way to give back? I firmly believe in giving back. I do it personally and through our company. And one of the best ever ways that we've come up with is uh, in every marketplace where we have an apartment community, we find the local food bank and we provide them with a cash donation on a yearly basis in the amount that's the equivalent to feed a family of four in that community. And nice. it's a way of giving back and helping with hunger. That's awesome. Michael, you're someone that I may allow multiple answers to this question based on the length <laughs> of your experience. But what is the biggest mistake you've made in multifamily investing and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? So I think the biggest mistake I made, which I've learned from, is not listening to the advice that we've kind of honed in in this interview and buying an apartment building in a market because I was attracted to it 
It was very attractive. It was available and came through a broker. And I got so excited about it, and I didn't bother to check the number of building permits and the supply that was coming into that market all around us. And everything was perfect about this property and its prior operating history. It was running 100% full. It was in Tallahassee, Florida. And within a year and a half of our purchasing this property, which I think was like 140 units, there were literally thousands of newer, brighter apartment buildings going up all around it. I learned the lesson the hard way about supply and demand. Michael, on that note, what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice, interesting, is kind of contrary to that, but it's do your homework, do your research, do your due diligence. All of us tend to get caught up in the deal and not making a bad decision. But at some point, it's time to pull the trigger and jump in. So I've developed a cute saying about that. After you get somewhat comfortable or comfortable enough, it's time to ready, fire, aim. Yeah, I have to ask you about that. You just told a story about not doing enough due diligence biting you when your 140 units in Tallahassee was very soon surrounded by thousands of newer, nicer units. Why ready, fire, aim? What's the practical application of that here? You can analyze a deal to death. You could play with your spreadsheet to debt. You can run down this comp or that comp and worry about where interest rates are going to move on your debt, how much you can raise rents from year to year. But after a certain point, after you've kind of stress tested it and thought about the worst case scenario enough and then done reasonable conservative projections, uh, it's time to move. Because if you don't, someone else will and that opportunity is not going to be available. And five years later or seven years later, when you see that property listed for 50 percent more than you could have bought it for, you're going to be kicking yourself. Michael, we're going to take a little bit longer on this. I have another take on this. Let me know if I'm saying the same thing you are with different words or if it's different. I had the opportunity to work with Brandon Turner of Bigger Pockets and Open Door Capital fame. And I did a presentation at Cincinnati's Best Ever Mastermind, our, our local meetup here about that experience. And one of the things that I learned from Brandon was that when the big numbers work, the little numbers don't matter. And if the little numbers go wrong, you can find ways to fix them. That's what I'm hearing you say with Ready, Fire, Aim, is that you need to figure out the big numbers and the large variables in advance of writing your LOI, executing on an acquisition. But eventually you get to the point where the things that really matter and move the needle and the things about which you will not have control have been ascertained. And that's the one it's time to jump. Couldn't agree more. Great. I'll take that. Where can people get in touch with you, Michael? Either by email, mhc at mzcapitalpartners.com or through our website, or feel free to call me on my cell phone, 312-316-1000. Those are in the show notes as well. Michael, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this conversation, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review. And share this episode with an apartment investor friend who you know that we can add value to through this conversation. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.